Section 12 of Wellington by George Hooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 8. Wellington's Offensive Campaigns, Part 2. And it was so. Sir Thomas Graham began the siege of San Sebastian on the 10th. On the 25th his troops were repulsed in an attempt to storm through the breaches, and Wellington, hastening to the camp, suspended all further operations, because while there he got news that Soult, whose advance was expected, had burst in on the right of the British line. Therefore Wellington hurried back to Lesaca and arrived in time to deal with his formidable adversary. Then ensued that exciting strife on the mountains and amid the valleys which can only be appreciated if studied in detail, for which here there is no space. In order to cover Graham's siege and the blockade of Pamplona, the greater part of the British army was posted on the north side of the central ridge, which crossed all the ravines and vales from Roncesvalles to Lecumberri. Thus the line was long, and by selecting the extreme right as the point of attack, Soult secured to himself the greatest advantages, and the best chances of beating his opponent in fractions. He therefore cleverly assembled Clausel and Reyes divisions near Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, and directed them upon the passes of Lindus and Ibanieta, while their lance divisions, starting from Espalette, assailed the centre under Hill. The advance was made on the 25th, the very day when Wellington galloped to San Sebastian, and it succeeded so far as to press back both fronts yet not enough to master the ridge on the first day for cole and bing stoutly resisting on the british right and derlon halting after a fierce combat on the col de maya wellington was able when he rode to the front on the twenty sixth to direct all the troops within reach upon the valley of lance where they would be in communication with picton who took command on that side so on the twenty seventh the whole line was in full retreat the French followed fast, but on that day Soult with Clausel and Ray's men, pouring through the Val Zumbiri, were stopped by Picton, who faced about on the hills near Pamplona. The same evening, when the French endeavoured to seize the heights above Zabaldica and Sororen, they were promptly repelled by coal, and forced to form up in the narrow highlands between the Val Zubiri and the Val of the Lance. Then Wellington arrived he had ridden down the lance valley from ostis and had entered sororen as clausel was approaching along the hills he wrote a dispatch on the bridge parapet which lord fitzroy somerset his sole staff officer at that moment carried to hill and dalhousie who were approaching from the left then he rode towards villalba and as his well-known form and face appeared the troops sent up hearty cheers of welcome it is related that Soult was pointed out to Wellington as he sat on his horse, separated from the marshal only by a narrow gulf, and that the British captain then uttered some sentences which have become famous. Yonder, he is reported to have said, yonder is a great commander, but he is cautious and will delay his attack to ascertain the cause of these cheers. That will give time for the sixth division to arrive, and I shall beat him the sixth had been told they must arrive at their destination and he knew that they would obey thus when night fell and a tempest shook the hills both armies stood between the gui and the lance torrents making ready for the morrow 
on that day the twenty eighth soult's troops attacked with great hardiness but as foreseen the sixth division had come up on the british left and the french were repulsed again and again even when they had perseveringly climbed on to the rocky crest when the evening came wellington's sixteen thousand though considerably diminished in number after the bludgeon work as he called it had victoriously thwarted the valorous onsets of nearly double their strength and the main purpose of soult was frustrated for the british divisions marching in the mountains were nearer together than the french the light division only being or seeming to be afar and in danger quiet prevailed on the twenty ninth but on the thirtieth soult joined d'erlon who had come up to lisasso and was about to fall upon hill's weaker force the french marshal formed a new plan of operations which would have placed his army in a but he reckoned without his host for on that very day while d'erlon was fighting hill wellington struck a direct blow at Rey and clausel on the old ground of sororen defeated them utterly pushed on in pursuit compelled a great body under foix to retreat on france by a separate line and thus left soult himself isolated with only one pass open to him that of doña maria over it he went and though closely pursued he halted in san estevan it was here that except by one exit he was surrounded wellington watching from the hills awaited the fitting moment to close on his opponent straggling was prohibited no fires were permitted but suddenly he saw three red-coated marauders who had entered the valley snapped up by four french gendarmes and soon after the drums beat and the enemy was seen in column of march headed for sumbilla and the bridge at yancey the british followed the spaniards came down to the bridge the light division appeared on the other bank of the bidashoa and the french filing through the narrow ledge between the cliffs and the torrent under a hot fire turned off toward echalar from that point they were driven on august second and on the third after ten days of march and battle the french were again in their own frontier the losses in both armies had been great but the defeated french were the more heavily punished in the combat near echalar wellington was nearly captured as he was examining his maps his forward habit constantly led him into peril but he never grew more cautious either in action or on the march and always rode where he judged his presence would be useful he has been blamed for not while his opponents were in disorder at once pushing his advantages on the spot he judged differently and considered that san sebastian must be reduced before he entered on so great an enterprise as the invasion of france besides suchet and catalonia inspired him with misgivings in the spanish war he had never to reckon with only the enemy in his front it was his duty and habit to survey the whole political and military field which really embraced germany as well as spain and follow that course which seemed more likely to secure solid and lasting results therefore he resumed the siege of san sebastian during the whole year he was not seconded by the government at home as well as he should have been for not only did the ordnance office languidly comply with demands for guns and ammunition 
but the admiralty did not maintain such a squadron on the coasts of spain and portugal as would have enabled supply ships to sail when required and might perhaps have prevented the french from pouring men and stores into the fortress by sea when the battering trains did arrive the complement of ammunition was not in quantity proportional to the guns so that there was first delay and then grave neglect and wellington did not leave the admiralty in doubt respecting his opinion of their shortcomings the plan of attack was censured at the time apparently on grounds justified by the results but to say that the place was taken by accident is a perverse exaggeration it was won by sheer valour and the explosion which gave so decided an advantage to the assailants was one of a kind not uncommon in war the siege was begun again on august fifth when soult had been chased to his frontier but the real work could not commence until the twenty second because the guns from home had not arrived the assault was made on the thirty first and the garrison driven into the castle where the stout governor emmanuel ray held out until september eighth when his rocky refuge was a ruin the operations were impressively dramatic and gave full scope to the bravery of the portuguese as well as to the heroism of the british soldier but some hideous atrocities which followed on the storming although they were perpetrated by a few threw a dark stain on the whole unjustly perhaps yet inevitably and the sack of san sebastian figures as an indelible disgrace neither graham nor wellington could have prevented the shameful acts which filled them with rage but both deeply resented and finally repelled the calumnies which like a monstrous growth sprang out of facts sufficiently horrible in their naked reality the officers on duty did all they could to restrain and punish the offenders wellington's share in the siege was intermittent but he had so much to do and besides the business was graham's but he did more than once interfere and four days after the assault he was on the breach in conversation with colonel john burgoyne who had succeeded to the command of the engineers when sir richard fletcher was killed the loss inflicted on the allies in this murderous siege approached the total of three thousand killed and wounded and the garrison was reduced to one-half their original strength at this price the general bought a fortress of the utmost value to him as a secure place for hospitals and magazines although the value was impaired by the dreadful conflagration begun by the french as part of the defence and perhaps enlarged by the plunderers unwilling to allow san sebastian to fall without another attempt to delay if not avert its capture soult crossed the bidashoa on the last day of august when the stormers were vainly struggling to win the breach and the shot from graham's guns were smashing the curtain wall above them he had made close and powerful combinations to break through the allied line and his columns did push up the huge spurs of the peña de jaya mountain but forewarned wellington was prepared and ready to repel the front attack the french came on in two large masses between irun and vira one under rea was repulsed on the heights of san marcial where stimulated by wellington's voice and gestures the spaniards were prevailed upon to stand alone the other commanded by clausel after pushing up the steeps was paralyzed by a strong demonstration on his left rear from the side of la Saca. in the afternoon a tempest deluged hill and valley 
staying the battle and converting the stream into a swollen torrent and while the greater part of the french got back in safety one brigade was caught at the bridge of vera and lost its general the stroke was heavy but it failed to relieve san sebastian the aggregate losses of both sides exceeded five thousand men so well did each fight and in the end soult felt constrained to stand on the defensive for the future and use the pick and spade to fortify the slopes and summits of the folded hills between the nivelle and the bidishoa he had more than a month for preparation there were three things which operated to hinder the advance of the allies the steadfastness of the governor of pamplona the state of the war in germany and the superiority maintained by the french on the east coast of spain where although suchet had retired to catalonia and blown up the old walls of tarragona he still defeated lord william bentinck at ordal and held on to the province but when pamplona surrendered at the end of october when the intelligence from saxony showed that napoleon was worsted by the allied armies when it seemed almost certain that suchet would not act with soult the field marshal finished the plans for the invasion of france which he had resolved to undertake as soon as san sebastian fell i am waiting here the saka he wrote to his brother on september twelfth till the animals of the pontoon train will be relieved from the work consequent on the siege when i shall cross the bidishoa showing that even then his plan of movement was conceived from vera october thirty first he wrote it is impossible that napoleon can stand and the confederation of the rhine is gone at that time however his troops had entered france the able manoeuvres which carried him over the frontier began on october seventh by the passage of the bidishoa long prepared and preceded by movements designed to deceive his adversary when set in operation they took soult by surprise for the allies broke in upon his long line of earthworks obstructions and mountain crests precisely where they were not expected calculating the time to a minute the time being dependent on the tide wellington sent a strong column from fuentarabia and irun over the river just above its mouth poured a serried host from the heights of san marcial and the bridge of vera upon the centre and left and fighting all day not only mastered the low country toward the sea but drove the french out of their strong works thrown up to defend the rugged hills and on the eighth captured and occupied the very summit of the great ruine the loftiest hill in those parts so that the french were forced back into the fortified lines constructed on both banks of the nivelle and wellington again proved to soult that he could cross a river in the face of a large army another month elapsed in relative quiet during which wellington tendered his resignation of command over the spanish army justly indignant with the spanish authorities who shamefully neglected their troops in the field and broke their covenants with the generalissimo at the same time a very able soldier sir john hope joined the army where his presence was most welcome the field marshal's three lieutenants being now hope beresford and hill early in november another forward move was made and on the tenth and eleventh the allies skilfully directed tumbled the french out of all their fortifications drove and followed them over the nivelle taking fifty-one guns all the field magazines and many hundreds of prisoners by the twelfth soult was established in and about the entrenched camp of bayonne 
a series of formidable works on both sides of the adour though he required every available sabre and bayonet for offensive operations wellington at this time ordered all his spanish troops except morillo's division into spain as a punishment for their deeds of plunder and outrage in contravention of his proclamation which he intended should be obeyed promising protection to the persons and property of the french people this evident proof of his good faith brought provisions to his camps but the violence of the spaniards and the want of money always very pressing prevented him from carrying out his great plans early in december despite difficulties of all kinds he once more assumed the offensive and effected the passage of the Nive above its confluence with the adour the work was finally done on december ninth but as the allied army was separated by the Nive, soult thought he had a good chance of winning a victory by falling on the left under hope thus taking advantage of what is called wellington's overconfidence he therefore started forth and during three days strove ineffectually to profit by the opportunity thus offered failing to defeat hope he turned upon hill and on this occasion had his best chance but hill was equal to the stress put on him and wellington who had watched and sustained the battle with fresh troops taking the offensive soult again thwarted drew his main body over the adour the allies lost many hundreds and had five generals wounded the french loss was more severe and at the end of the last day's fighting three german regiments passed into the camp of the allies another period of comparative inactivity followed comparative for although the troops were quiet their captain was incessantly occupied devising modes of feeding them wrestling with the foolishness of the spanish portuguese and british governments even with the gold he received coining napoleons because that money could be the more easily exchanged by his soldiers his repeated and plain-spoken remonstrances had produced some change for the better in the admiralty and consequently in the cooperation of the navy still he had to resist plans suggested from home and he always suffered from want of funds but when the allies had crossed the rhine and napoleon had begun his inimitable though fruitless campaign of eighteen fourteen wellington also pressed upon his able adversary whose forces had been diminished to reinforce the emperor and yet remained within a few hundreds equal to those of the british field-marshal in february he was once more in motion executing a plan which was not his least masterly conception intending to invest bayonne he boldly resolved to throw a great bridge over the adour below the town and to facilitate the project assailed the french left thus drawing soult away from the fortified camp while sir john hope and admiral penrose worked together to bridge the broad tidal stream repeated and successful manoeuvres and attacks between the upper course of the neve and the adour deceived and bewildered soult who receded farther and farther from the decisive point then hope accomplished his daring enterprise with greater daring and between the twenty fourth and twenty fifth of february after severe labours he mastered the river and invested bayonne by the time this great exploit was finished wellington had compelled soult to retreat over the gave d'oleron and even the gave de pain on the right bank of which he halted to fight at orthez beresford passed the stream some miles below 
and moving up the right bank to Bates, covered the passage of all the army at Berenks except Hill's two divisions, which were opposite the bridge of Ortez and threatened the French left. Soult, uncertain of the strength before him, formed a fresh line of battle, and on February 27th, instead of being as he had designed the assailant, found himself the defender. For some time he kept Beresford at bay on his right, repelled an attack on his left, and thought he was about to defeat his old opponent. If so, he was over-sanguine. Wellington, who had been watching the conflict from an elevated central position on the site of a Roman camp, finding he could not break in on the French right wing, developed a powerful attack along the whole front, and sent the 52nd Regiment across a marsh to smite the exposed inner flank of the right wing. Hill at the same time ascended the river to find a point of passage, and by the time he was crossing at Suar, the combined onset organized on the Roman camp, especially the hardy march and fighting of the 52nd, had disordered and overthrown the enemy, who, finding himself worsted at all points and Hill menacing his rear, yielded the field, and only essayed a formation to cover the retreat. As Hill was now over on the Pau Road, that line was gone, and Soult was obliged to flit away toward saint Save on the Adour in order to preserve his communication with Toulouse. He succeeded by dint of rapid marching, breaking down as he moved the bridges on the many streams. In this battle the French lost six guns, and Wellington was wounded, being struck from his horse. Yet he speedily rose to his feet, and it is said laughed at Alava, who was hit in a soft part, always a source of mirth. The contusion, or the deep bridgeless rivers, perhaps both, stayed the rapidity of pursuit, and the next day all the French on the saint Save road were over the Adour. Hill, moving on the right, had a sharp skirmish with Clozel at air, defeated him, and seized his magazines. Those at Dox and Mont-Saint-Marsan also were captured. The French marshal, now cut off from Bordeaux, fearful of being driven into the Land, and still hoping that Suchet might come to his aid, clung to the spurs of the Pyrenees, and covered the roads to Toulouse. Wellington followed as far as the country about Ayr, but there he halted for some days, having detached Beresford and two divisions to Bordeaux. The Bourbons were already in the field, but the general did not directly help them, being restrained from that course by his own government, and honestly stating the truth to the Bourbon partisans, who incurred his wrath when they endeavoured to force his hand. Finding Wellington inactive, Soult actually resumed the offensive on March 13th, pushing his divisions close up to air. That bold movement, however, did not succeed, for Wellington, who had got back Beresford and one of his divisions from Bordeaux, retorted on his adversary with such vigour that he was forced to fall back rapidly through Tarbes and Saint-Gaudin to his entrenched position at Toulouse. At this time the population of the districts through which poured the streams of warfare, far from rising in arms, did nothing to aid Soult, and brought provisions readily into the British camps, and they did this because they were scrupulously well treated and paid for all they supplied. The English general's policy, a French official wrote, and the good discipline he maintains, does us more harm than ten battles. Every peasant wishes to be under his protection. 
that is decisive testimony if any were needed but it must be admitted that the spanish divisions sent back because they were guilty of outrage yet some of which he was obliged to call up afresh nearly effaced by their crimes the good feeling won by the general's noble conduct the french peasants were tired of the long and exacting wars of napoleon and if they were not eager for the bourbon they were athirst for peace soult believed he could make good his strong post in front of toulouse for he had fortified the montrave a high ridge rising between the stream of the air and the canal on the eastern face of the town while the entrenched suburb of st cyprien in a loop on the left bank defended the bridge over the garonne the allies came up on that side but in order to master the defences of toulouse after several tentative measures above wellington keeping hill before st cyprien threw his bridges below sent over all the other divisions and cutting off soult from montauban moved up the air into the narrow space between it and the french lines that involved a flank march by two divisions under fire in order to reach and storm a height on the south the troops endured the loss and carried the height and although the spaniards suffered reverses from assaulting the northern redoubts too soon and picton was repelled when he changed a false into a real attack yet beresford's divisions the fourth and sixth overpowered their foes and charging along and through the works on the montrave obliged soult to withdraw behind the canal yet he still held fast to the redoubts and bridges which defended and gave access to the carcassonne road his only available line of retreat this was not done without much persevering fighting and always at great risk but it was done the french lost five and the allies four generals and several thousand men killed and wounded soult fearing that he might be cut off altogether withdrew from toulouse on the night of the eleventh leaving eight guns and his wounded to the conqueror who the next day entered toulouse here terminated the last act of wellington's campaigns begun in portugal and finished in france the sanguinary fight on the garonne and the still later sortie from bayonne were both subsequent to the abdication of napoleon that great event was virtually completed on april seventh but not officially communicated to the allied powers until the eleventh and of course could not be and was not known to soult before the battle of toulouse nor would he recognize the fall of his emperor until an aide-de-camp brought the authentic papers from napoleon himself then the british army which had done so much was dispersed and its general travelled to paris where he arrived early in may to find himself duke of wellington he was not allowed to stay long in the french capital as his presence was requested in madrid where ferdinand the seventh of evil memory had at length ascended the throne to that monarch he gave honest advice but it availed nothing as a grandee of spain the duke was entitled to keep his hat on in the royal presence but he did not know it during his stay in madrid the king showed himself to the people from a balcony of the palace while his suite stood in a room behind the people i believe said wellington to crocker in the king desired me to come forward which i did bareheaded of course i should have done so anywhere else the king immediately said to me be covered in the face of the people i could not at once bring myself to do it but the people about us hastened to remind me that i was a grandee of the first class 
and that I ought to have been covered. Fortunately, he had been engaged in more serious labors than a study of the privileges belonging to a Spanish grandee. Quitting Spain, he returned in June through Paris to England, having been abroad, steadfast in his country's service without a break for five years. What he did in that period we have seen. How crowded, how splendid the vista which runs back from the triumph of 1814 to the passage of the Doru in 1809. He had freed Lisbon the year before. Now he was set forth upon an enterprise in the success of which few believed the liberation of Portugal as a step to the liberation of Spain. But although Napoleon was the master of the continent, Sir Arthur Wellesley, when he began his stupendous task, saw the weak plates in the giant's armor, and believed firmly that he could pierce his vitals. Napoleon also detected at once the new power which had struck into the strife on the peninsula, and after a porto, he never ceased to tell his brother and his marshals that there was nothing in Portugal or Spain except the English. That was why his great lieutenant, perhaps his greatest, Massena, was sent to overwhelm the dreaded adversary. In the prince's path arose not only the soldiers of Busaco, but the lines of Torres Vedras, which revealed the most profound as well as the grandest conception of the time. The defense of those lines was the turning point in the war, and if the large consequences did not make the British ministers see that every man, gun, and guinea they could spare should be given to Wellington, it was because the ministers were not, nor could they be expected to be, the equals of the general, who alone at that time, scanning the future, foresaw what could be done. It was his patience, not less than his vast business knowledge and inventiveness, which helped him to win. He could wait as well as strike. His enemies called him cautious and timid, just as after Talavera they called him rash and adventurous, yet in one winter he wrested from them two great fortresses and made them the warders of the little realm he guarded. And when he had fixed himself firmly on his frontier, he marched into Spain, beating Marmont at Salamanca, as he had beaten Massena at Fuentes d'Anoro. Frustrated at Burgos, and followed in retreat by a great host, he showed Soult on the Tormes that he could maneuver as well as fight, and when once more in Portugal he had the satisfaction of knowing that his marches and battles had raised the siege of Cadiz and liberated the whole of Andalusia. Napoleon went to Russia and furnished the opportunity for which Wellington had fought and waited and watched. The next campaign carried his country's flag through the field of Vitoria to the crests of the Pyrenees, expelling from Spain all French armies save one on the east coast, and bringing the invasion of France within the reach of his arm. Nothing stopped him when he sprang forward, neither the fortified mountains nor the deep and abounding rivers nor the gallant soldiers of France nor, at the end, the mighty entrenchments of Toulouse we can see the shining results of five years unremitting endeavor and track the passage of the great captain from the rock of lisbon to the shores of the garonne but what none can now fully realize are the vast and varied obstacles which beset his career and that of his matchless soldiers and the ingenious devices which he contrived to lessen or overcome them that which carried him through was not only his quality as a great and daring commander but his honesty and uprightness as a man. 
his single aim was the service of his country and he never swerved from that high standard throughout his long ordeal he defined himself in regard to spain as a concurrent sans ambition adding all the world knew that i desired nothing but to beat the french out of spain and then go home to my own country leaving the spaniards to manage theirs as they pleased and we have seen that his endurance moderation and genius enabled him to achieve his desire all through his life it will be found that duty and service were his guiding stars he went home from the field of his infinite labours peace seemed to have closed a horrid era of bloodshed yet only seemed for the great conqueror who was not without ambition was brooding in his island of elba how he might retrieve the throne he had solemnly renounced if not the predatory empire which he had staked and lost End of section twelve